0: Welcome to Beyond By Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards and Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards and Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards and Associates PC. Our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about fraud detection. My name is Ash, and within the studio we have co-host Robert. Good afternoon. And a very special guest. His name is David Harris, CEO of ProsperiDent. David is a sought-after speaker and an accomplished author on the topic of dental embezzlement. His most recently published book is called Dental Embezzlement, The Art of Theft, and the Science of Control. His articles have appeared in every major dental publication. And then from a qualification standpoint, David is a certified fraud examiner, forensic CPA, chartered professional accountant, certified in financial forensics, and a licensed private investigator. So with his experience and over three decades of expertise, I can't wait to get our episode started. So David, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing well and uh, great to be with you. Private
2: investigator, huh? Does that mean you carry
1: heat? (laughs) Generally not. I get calls from people sometimes who wonder if their wife is cheating on them or something, and they're very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) That really isn't what I do.
2: Tell them to send you their bank statements, and you'll see if she's uh, paying anybody.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, we we do get into that kind of because sometimes in dental practices, you know, if, if somebody has their spouse as their office manager, and the spouse has decided to leave the doctor, then embezzlement happens. So I've broken the news to more than a couple of dentists over the years that they were about to get divorced and just didn't realize it yet. <laughs> oh, goodness.
2: <laughs> well, that's uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I hadn't thought of that. But of course, uh, we have way too many clients who have their spouse in the practice. We never recommend that, but we see it a
1: lot. Yeah. And if if you are a spouse and you're working for a dentist and you're about to trade them in on a newer model, <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the thoughts that will go through your mind is i'm probably going to be taken off the payroll when i drop the bomb on on my doctor's spouse so uh, i better feather the nest a little bit before that happens of course
2: makes sense so tell me david if a client calls you or a doctor calls you and, and says hey you know i think i have somebody that's stealing money from me at the front desk then logistically what happens after that? Take it from there and just walk us through the whole process and how Prosperident and and your people get, get involved.
1: Absolutely. You know, I start with a, with a kind of orientation conversation with the doctor where we try to understand what's happening. You know, is the theft taking place on the revenue side of the books or the expense side? Because uh, the way we respond to each of those is a little bit different. I can tell you most theft, most of the dollars stolen in dentistry are stolen on the revenue side. So it's stealing patient or insurance payments. And we do see expense side stuff like tampering with payroll or um, maybe creating some kind of fictitious expense, uh, much smaller dollars and much less frequency. So we we try to clarify that first, Uh, assuming we're talking about a revenue theft, which again is the, the, the main event here, then we gear ourselves up to perform a stealthy investigation. And by stealthy, I mean, the staff shouldn't know that it's happening. And we do this, Robert, even if the suspect is no longer working in the practice because maybe the suspect has been misidentified, maybe they have a friend in the practice. And the phone call I don't want to happen is somebody in the practice phoning the person under suspicion and saying, I don't know what the heck you did, but Dr. Smith's got forensic people crawling all over the place. Okay, so stealth is important in our world. And one of the mistakes that amateurs make when they do this kind of investigation is that they do it in a way that's visible to the suspect. And if I if if you're a dentist, and I'm working for you, and I've stolen from you, and I think I'm about to get caught. What I picture is a bunch of uh, iron bars around me. And the things that I would do to prevent myself from going to jail can be pretty broad and could include things like burning down the practice.
2: You mean uh, physically setting a fire?
1: Setting a fire or wow. in in at least 3 cases that I'm aware of murdering the dentist. Wow.
2: Okay, that's way beyond my imagination.
1: Wow. So so the secrecy is important. The way that we get there is we start by duplicating somebody's practice management software. So if we get a call from a dentist, we Our IT folks are well-equipped to make a virtual visit to the doctor's server, copy the data files, and then we use those to build a replica. So we end up with a clone of the doctor's practice management software in our computer lab.
2: And I guess you can use uh, all kinds of software, right? I mean, you work with Dentrix and EagleSoft and
1: and Open Dental. Yeah. In the past year, I think we've seen 38 different pieces of software. Okay, good. Uh, You know, including some pretty obscure stuff. Believe it or not, there are still some practices out there using some old DOS-based practice management software.
2: <laughs> Somehow that doesn't surprise me. I still run across paper charts every once in a while.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we get the software duplicated, and that gives us two things. It gives us, first of all, a really good firewall between us and, and the staff and the practice. Whereas if we were crawling around in live software, there's a pretty decent chance that somebody realizes we're doing it. When we create our own copy offsite and we 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 deal with that, there's there's no possibility. Um, the second advantage that it gives us is it ge- it gives us the luxury of working with static data. In my business, we're always looking backward, and it's hard to do that when your data set is being contaminated by new transactions. So our clone of the software is cut off from all that stuff. In other words, it will never change, and it, for that reason, it's a it's a good stable platform for us and then we start our work Oh, and we kind of have two phases the first phase is is a basic comparison between what the software collected and what was deposited at the bank because if i'm a thief and i think nobody's watching that it's super easy for me to steal you know if if i can simply create a discrepancy between how much comes in and what goes into the bank and nobody notices that's what i'm going to do
0: I see. And do you usually prefer investigating these cases alone or as part of a team? Uh,
1: well, I, I have twenty three people in total. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have different um, specialties. Our, some of our investigators are, are uh, quite highly subspecialized. Also, we have we have an onboarding team that gathers documents and so on. So every every file that we do is touched by at least five people. But there's there's always a lead investigator. I see. And all of our investigators come from a dental background. About a third of them used to be dentists. Okay. Uh, the rest were office managers or software trainers or consultants.
0: I see. And I assume you guys use safeguards and procedures to minimize um, the likelihood of errors?
1: Yeah, quality control is a, is a huge obsession here. Mm-hmm. And uh, among other things, I, I personally review all reports before they go out if we found embezzlement. Uh, and, and I'm I'm known internally as as the most uh, picky human being on the planet when it comes to those. <laughs> uh, my my staff all have stories about what they refer to as Dave's big red pen. <laughs> uh, because I, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, merciless with reports because that's our output. That's that's the thing on which we ultimately are judged.
2: Sure. And I, I assume some of your reports could become evidence in, in cases.
1: Um, whenever we find embezzlement, that's exactly the, the expectation, you know, this is going to be the document that first of all, the doctor's insurance company will use to, uh, to, to make an insurance payment because all, all of your audience have some amount of insurance coverage against employee dishonesty. And also that's what the prosecutor needs.
2: You know, speaking of that, let me ask you one question related to this, but kind of on a tangent, what's your average loss that you've been able to assess. Uh,
1: the last time we checked, which was a couple of years ago, the average loss was one hundred nine thousand.
2: Okay, good to know. I, w- I would have guessed probably about twenty thousand myself.
1: Okay, and you know, there's there's a wide range, Robert. I mean, there's everything from somebody stealing pens and toilet paper from the office to several times a year we see a million dollar plus theft.
2: You know, I'm always picking up a dental publication and I see those that make the headlines and, you know, I'll see, you know, uh, several million dollars here and you're just wondering how in the heck did they do that?
1: Well, they probably did it gradually. In other words, that wasn't stolen on a weekend. Yeah, no, it was over a period of probably five to eight years. That's that's pretty typical. I mean, they, the, the average thief will steal somewhere between two and 4% of collections once their theft pattern kind of matures. In other words, people start off with sometimes very small amounts and then it gradually builds and, and plateaus it between two and four percent of collections so, so you know start with a three million dollar practice and take four percent of collections and do it for five years and sure that's a million dollar theft
2: yeah so do they start small just to um, see if it works and gets discovered and maybe gain a little confidence along the way and then get bigger toward the end
1: definitely i mean as as somebody gets more comfortable in their in their patterns the numbers will grow and most embezzlers seem to kind of intuitively sense some kind of pain point and they and they don't push beyond that
0: and then um, are there some tell tale signs of an employee that may be potentially involved in fraudulent activities
1: absolutely more than 90 percent of theft is accompanied by some kind of stealing like behavior and <clears throat> there there can be a lot of different things that meet that i mean some of them are 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 financial indicators, but in terms of behavioral things, Mm -hmm. um, somebody living beyond their means, Mm -hmm. somebody with some kind of sudden shock to their finances. And the classic case of this is you have a staff member who's going through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the economics of divorce, you start with two incomes in one household and you move from that to Mm -hmm. two incomes in two households and a bunch of attorney bills. That puts anybody's finances under stress. Does everybody who's going through a divorce steal? Of course not, but some do. People, if we step back a bit, maybe I can offer a little bit of insight that'll help the the audience understand what kind of behavior they're looking for. And I'll start by saying, fundamentally, people embezzle for one of two reasons. Sometimes it's need, and needy people are like the person I just mentioned going through the divorce. You know, there's something that's happened that's ups, upset their family finances and there's more money going out each month than what's coming in. And, you know, you can sustain that for a while, but eventually you can't. And, and some of the people who can't steal, mm-hmm. and then you have greedy thieves and greedy thieves are wired a little bit differently. They feel like society doesn't really appreciate their, their bountiful talents and they steal what they think the doctor should be paying them in the first place. So they're really stealing to address an ego deficit more than a financial one. And w- when greedy people steal, they flaunt the money. I mean, they spend it very conspicuously. And I, I, I talk about one lady who's, who's from the great state of Texas named Missy, Misty Casanova. Um, <laughs> and, and that is her real name, not her stripper name. Wow. And Misty took her doctor for $425,000. And she'd do things like take a limousine ride to church. Wow, and she would buy front row concert tickets. So this is somebody who officially is being paid about $60,000 a year, and she's plunking down $8,000 to sit in the front row at a Beyonce concert. Wow. And it's all about ego. She wants her friends to see her getting out of the limo or to be 150 rows back seeing Misty sitting in the front row and think, wow, she's got her act together.
2: Okay, but in doing your job, how do you – uncover that kind of activity i mean do you look at the employee's facebook post or something or how i mean you know how do you see they're living beyond their means
1: that's not something i would generally see that's what the doctor would see and then call me and you know i i mean i got a call the other day from somebody who said i'm trying to understand how my office manager's bmw is newer and bigger than mine
2: <laughs> that makes sense
1: and, and you know possibly there is some extraneous explanation. I mean, maybe, um, you know, maybe they have an uncle who died and left the money or something. But, uh, you know, that that doesn't determine embe- embezzlement. That determines risk.
2: Right. Okay.
1: And it's, it's my job to start with risk and translate it into whether it's actually happening or not. And that normally involves looking at practice management software at a very granular level. Do you think
2: it's more likely that a doctor gets embezzled if he owns multiple practices?
1: Yes, just because of the way that probability works. And, and Robert, it's no different than if you toss a coin once, the chance of getting heads is 50%. If
2: okay. you toss the
1: same coin 10 times, the chance of getting heads at least once is a lot more than 50%. It's, it's very close to
2: 100%. Okay, that makes sense. Uh,
1: so the same thing happens if you have multiple practices and you have multiple employees. And, you know, the other issue with multiple practices is control because every, everybody who has multiple practices starts with one. And what they find out sometimes the hard way is that the systems that worked really well when it was them and five employees uh, progressively break down as they go to three and five and eight practices. So controls tend to be weaker and right beside that, you have the simple probability that somebody in one of these pr- practices turns out to be a rotten apple. You know, and what surprises a lot of dentists who aren't in the DSO world is this is a pretty frequent occurrence in DSOs. And, you know, it's very tempting to say they're big companies and, you know, they should have the resources to put sufficient control systems in place. They don't. We, we work for several of the of the 10 biggest DSOs in the in the country. And they all suffer from embezzlement and probably get hit at a at a rate that approximates what solo practices get.
2: Let me ask you another question about probabilities. If you've got, let's say, a single practice, and, and if you've got five employees, are you less likely to be embezzled than if you have, say, ten employees?
1: Probably you are. Okay. You know, there's there's some possibility that you know, and, and employee of yours will wake up tomorrow morning and decide to be dishonest. And the more employees you have, the bigger the probability that one of them will do that. What, perc- I, what percentage? Say,
2: I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I, will, I will repeat what I just said about controls. You know, the bigger the entity, in general, the poorer the controls. And the analogy I use with people is, you know, you can, you can build a paper airplane out of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and it flies pretty well. Try the same thing with a piece of newspaper and see what happens.
2: <laughs> okay. I might try that Sunday.
1: <laughs> well, that's, that, 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 that's why the airliners don't build them out of paper.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, so overall in the dental industry, what percentage of dentists would you say are embezzled at least once during their careers?
1: 75%. Wow. Wow. Um, The ADA did a survey in 2019, and they asked 17,000 dentists, have you been stolen from? And 53% said, I don't think so, because absolute answers are a little hard to come by when you ask these questions. So 47% said yes. And then the ADA asked that 47% a follow-up question. They said, okay, how many times? And 26% of those surveyed, in other words, about half those who said yes said once that I know of. 11% 11% twice, 2% three times. And the one that really blows my mind, Robert, 8% of the respondents said, I've been stolen from four or more times. Wow. So if you just add up all those, you take 26% times one and 11% times two and so on, you end up with 86 embezzlements per 100 doctors. Mm. And that measures what's already happened. What you also have to consider is what will happen in the rest of their careers. And that's how you get from 47% to about 75
2: well, and there's some of that other percentage that that said they hadn't been embezzled that probably doesn't know they were embezzled.
1: Absolutely, there's there's underreporting, and you know, to to add to that, there are probably some who know they were embezzled and just for whatever reason chose not to disclose it.
2: Maybe so, yeah. Uh, okay, so
1: you have to factor in underreporting, and you have to consider the future, because you know, of the seventeen thousand dentists who were surveyed, uh, a fair number will get hit in the in, in the rest of their careers.
0: I see. Now, David, earlier you mentioned that a lot of times uh, the employee's motive uh, towards fraudulent activities could be financial duress. Uh, now, with us being in a recession or going towards a recession, do you think the odds of that may be going up?
1: Yes. And let's go back to the, the two cohorts. You've, you've got needy people and greedy people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And recession tends to bring out the needy. You know, if there are, if companies downsize, if people's spouses lose their jobs, you know, if mortgage rates go up and suddenly housing costs more, you know, when people renew their mortgages, I mean, all of, all of those things create more needy people. Boom times create more greedy people.
0: Mm, I see.
1: Because what, what greedy people see is their friends who say own real estate or maybe own a business somewhere are, are getting ahead much more quickly than, than they are. And that bothers the greedy people. So I would never call what I do recession proof, but the, the different cohorts get kind of encouraged at different times. And, you know, the, the sort of immediate post COVID era era was, was interesting because it was, it was a time really when both groups were getting encouraged at once. Interesting. You know, interest rates were cheap and a lot of businesses had kind of a post COVID rebound. And at the same time that was happening, there was a lot of kind of adjustment going on in the economy.
2: Yeah. A lot of people were losing their jobs or choosing to leave their jobs.
1: Exactly. So you kind of, you kind of had factors and and I haven't seen that very often in my life where really both groups were, were getting egged on by the situation at the same time.
2: I see. So as financial advisors, what can we tell our clients to be aware of just to see if the possibility that they're getting embezzled exists?
1: Well, the first thing that, Dennis need to do, and it astounds me, the small percentage of them who do this is their office manager or whatever the title is, needs oversight financially. So, you know, practice management software records collections and collections should equal deposits. And in probably 75 or 80% of offices, you know, no one supervises the office manager in that balancing activity. And when that happens, you make the threshold for that. You make the intellectual threshold for embezzlement so low. I mean, the stupidest thief on the planet can peel some money off the deposit and put it in their pocket. And if that won't get noticed by anybody, then they get away with it. And sometimes for many years. So the, you know, the first thing is very simple, somebody, and it doesn't have to be the dentist personally, but somebody who is not the office manager needs to oversee that element of the finances. And I don't know if that's something that your accounting firm does, but it, you know, it would be a service that you should encourage your clients to get, whether you do it for them or, or there's some other outlet.
2: Okay. That's good advice. I appreciate so that.
1: There. The second thing is that that whole calculation is predicated on the practice management software accurately reporting collections. And if I'm a thief and I think that the day in balancing is being overseen, then the way I started thinking is, how do I make software under state collections? And those kind of transactions are far easier for the doctor to spot than somebody like you, because it requires knowledge of what actually happened in the practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second thing is, you know, doctors need to look at their reports at the end of the day and make sure that what they see makes sense. I'm
0: assuming you're specifically talking about the adjustment section.
1: No, I'm not. Adjustments are part of it, but there, there are lots of other ways. A, a lot of thieves stay away from using adjustments as a way of covering their, their stealing because they're kind of in the doctor's face. And I won't get specific here because, you know, who knows who's listening. <laughs> I right, uh, can't be too careful. Uh, you know, you need to look at every transaction that happened in your software. I mean, every transaction. What that means as well is you need to print your own reports. Mm-hmm. If you're a practice owner and you allow somebody to put a report on your desk, you had no control over the parameters used to generate that report, and you've made it again relatively easy for somebody to hide what really happened.
0: Right. And those reports need to be locked, right? At the end of the day.
1: Yes. And the third thing I'll mention is a concept called articulation. And Dennis learned about articulation in a different way. For them, it, it's talking about the way that they, the lower and upper jaw interact with each other. The articulation that I'm talking about here is very simple. If your practice was open 16 days this month, and in your left hand you have 16 day end reports from your software, and in your right hand you have a month end report, if you totaled each category on the day ends, in other words, charges, adjustments, and payments, they should equate exactly to the month end totals.
2: But you don't wait till the end of the month to print each of the day-end reports, right? You print those on the day they were generated.
1: Those should be contemporaneous. And as you say, put them in a drawer somewhere and lock them.
2: Yeah, okay.
1: And at the end of the month, print off a month-end report and compare the day-ends to the month-end. Yeah. If they don't line up, then what happens is some, somebody was doing after-hours mischief in your practice.
2: But David, I can't be, begin to tell you how many of our clients don't take the time to look at the day-end reports i ask them that question all the time and they just sheepishly look at me and say no i don't look at those
1: well you know it's like your teeth you can either floss and brush your teeth or you can deal with what happens if you don't Mm.
2: that's a good analogy very appropriate
1: you know i talk to dentists all day just like you do so so i talk to them in their own language um you know brushing and flossing is is far less intrusive and painful than the remedy when you don't and i'll say exactly the same thing here you know that that 10 minutes you spend at the end of each day um, deals not only with embezzlement but also just human error i mean how much money do you think flies out of the average dentist's fingers in the course of a year simply because somebody misrecords something Um, we know that human error only happens in one direction In other words, if I'm a patient and I get overcharged, I will squawk about it and it will get fixed. (laughs) Right. If I'm a patient and I get undercharged, then I phone my wife and say, honey, we're going out to dinner tonight.
2: (laughs) That's so appropriate. Yes.
1: Oh, you know, the the human error only happens in one direction and that direction is against the dentist.
0: Right. I see. And now we're coming close to the end of our episode. Now, David, did you have any um, final advice for our listeners Uh, or this would also be a good Point to uh, do your plug in uh, just to let them know if they need to get in touch with you. Uh, how to do it. That's right. Yep. How to do it.
1: Absolutely. The wisdom I'm going to get is very simple. And I'm going to quote a former president who said once trust but verify. Mm-hmm. One thing most dentists aren't equipped with is a whole lot of skepticism. And, you know, they come from a clinical environment where. Dentists relate to each other in a very pure way, and they tend to believe that the rest of the world functions with the same set of rules, and they just don't. In terms of how to reach us, there are a couple of ways to do it. The first way is our website, which is www.prosperident.com, P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-D-E-N-T. Or they can call us on our toll-free number, which is 888-398-2327. 888-398-2327. 888-398-2327. Reach out to us either way and we'll be happy to have a conversation and help you in any way we can.
2: Well, and I appreciate you being on here today with us and I appreciate the job you've done for the clients that we've referred you in the past and just keep up the good work.
1: Well, thank you. We we cherish our, our friendship with your firm. We're, we're honored that you you work with us and uh, we, we give every client 100%.
2: I know you do, and I wish we had more time today, but I think that's about it, David. Thank you very much for being here.
0: Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond By Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.